Hey everybody, welcome to episode 88 of Making It. I'm Bob Claggett, here with David Picciuto. How are you doing? Nice. <laughs> and Jimmy Dresta. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Hey. <laughs> You're welcome. Again. You know, you make me feel Grand. silly when I, when I go all in on mine, and then it's real like... <laughs> Quiet and subdued. Yeah. <laughs> I only do that just to give you a little bit more oomph. You know, it's like I yeah. kind of create a vacuum. I don't need that that extra stage. <laughs> I'll dial it back and then you dial it up next time. How about okay. that? Okay. Okay. Promise. All right. Yeah. We can have some variation. It's cool. And Bob Claggett. Yeah. And me. How am I doing? I mean, I'm good. <laughs> it's a combination. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I was on the uh, the Maritime Woodworkers show, or Maritime Makers show, they call it now, the other night. And um, they were joking with me beforehand about when, when they introduced me, I should pull your, <laughs> how are you doing? <laughs> but I didn't. I forgot, I think. Anyway, that was a good time. But uh, what's what's going on? What are you guys up to? David, what are you, do- what are you doing? So this week, uh, I, I'm making some, I'm batching out some like craft show type projects. Um, I've applied for a craft show in November. And so, um, if I get accepted, it's a juried craft show, which is the ones I recommend. If you're going to do them, get in the juried ones. Um, and so if I get accepted, I will, uh, I will have to have some stuff ready. So why not get stuff ready and make a video about that? So, um, my Tuesday video and Wednesday video should be batching out these small little items. I'm a little bit behind, so I I have, I think I know what I'm making, but I haven't started or I don't know exactly, so I'm not going to announce that. That way it doesn't sound like I'm lying once again. <laughs> um, but they will, uh, Tuesday and Thursday will be really quick, easy projects. Nice. Now, I thought that you had kind of stepped away from doing the craft show thing. Did something change? Uh, yes. Uh, the wife really wants to do them again, and she really hmm. wants me to be there. So if I'm going to be there, I might as well be selling some stuff too. And I get asked about craft show tips and, and uh, questions all the time, and I haven't done one in a couple of years, and I really can't give advice on one if I don't do them right. So, hmm. you know, once a year, once every couple of years, won't hurt me. Yeah. So how much, like, preparation stock are you doing for this type of thing? Are you just doing a few of each piece or a lot? Or mm, I, I'm going to, well, I have all the cutting boards from the book. And so a couple of them are, are going to, we're keeping one or two, and then a couple are going to be gifts, like to my, my cameraman, Eric, what up, Eric? And then I'm going to, like I did with the bandsaw boxes, I'm going to sell them online. Like this is the actual cutting board that was in the book, comes with a signed copy of the book. And hmm. whatever of those don't sell by November, uh, I will then take them to the craft show. And then... I'm I'm making things that I've that I know have sold in the past. Um, there's a big kind of art community around these the craft fair in Toledo, and so I know like uh, I'm going to make these little uh, like twelve pencil like art pencil colored pencils watercolor pencil holders, and or um, the the twelve or twenty four. Uh, drawing pencils with the different hardnesses holders that are very specific and and artists like to have those on their desk and it's all displayed and and um those have sold well in the past so i know i'm going to do things like that so and then like these wine displays those have always sold well in the past so i'm going to count on knowing on what has sold in the past and remake that again but i need to do something different i need to come up with like new items to experiment to see what sells and what doesn't sell and so that's 
It's always fun because uh, I've made things where they don't sell at all, or I've made things like the wine displays that have that sell out fairly fast. So it's it's an experiment, and I need to do something mm. different every time. Otherwise, I'm going to get bored with it and not do it again for many years. Do you batch out anything on the CNC machine when you do a craft show? When I say batch, make four or five of anything in particular. The last time that I had a craft show uh, a couple years ago, I did not have a CNC machine at that time. Or I had just got that very first shape Boko mm-hmm. and wasn't confident enough in the machine and my abilities to to do something with it. So now that I have a laser and I'm pretty confident with, with the X-Carve that I have, I could definitely do some, some batching that way. Because you can make you can make like a keychain or, or like a, a desk accoutrement that says, "How <laughs> three dots? Yeah. Are you doing I've, eight dots? <laughs> I've also thought about the uh, taking the laser engraver with me. If like not every oh, yeah. booth has access to electricity, but then I can customize the pieces right there for an uh, an added price. Yeah, but I have to worry about idea. venting because the the laser engraver that I currently have is not self vented. It needs uh, outside airflow. So if uh, if the Glowforge, for whatever reason, ships early, you, <laughs> that has built-in uh, air, for whatever uh, reason. built-in air filter. Yeah, which it's not going to. We all know that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, today I am actually, uh, I had a busy day so far. I delivered that table that I made in last week's video, and that went well. It's in place, and uh, I had to do a little work in the apartment while I was there. That table is in the same apartment that I did the corner seating a few weeks ago. So it's, uh, and then I might have some other stuff to do there. So I got that out of the way today. And uh, I'm going to make, I want to try and manufacture the hatchet, talking about batching stuff. You remember a while back I made a hatchet with an aluminum handle, the little small, it's smallish one, not the big one. And I found a factory in China that will, no, I shouldn't have said China, now everyone's going to get mad at me. Uh, I found a factory in China that says they could make it. It's a company that makes tools for Home Depot, where everybody shops, and Lowe's, where everybody shops. <laughs> Reminding everybody before I get hate mail. Because you already buy from China. Because you already yeah, buy from China. Yeah. And everything in Walmart, except for the actual store itself, is made in China. Just so everybody knows. <laughs> everything in the store, except for the building, is made in China. So uh, this hatchet I'm going to have possibly made at this tool factory. And so they need a sample. And I don't want to send the only sample I have away. So I said, will a representation of it do? And they said, yes, of course. So I'm going to send a molding a casting of it. So today and tomorrow, mm-hmm. I got the materials. I'm going to make a silicone mold of the hatchet and then make some castings of it, just as nice. size and sample, just the size and, and reference samples. And then I'll send over the only real thing. I mean, they could get some tool steel. They know what that top of the head is, but the handle itself, they just want some samples of that material. And I have the original stock that I that I cut it from, so I'll just send them a cutoff of that. And so I'm working on that. And then my cannon's still moving along. I have it right here at my desk. When I get the strength up, I'll hold it up in front of the camera because it is very heavy. <laughs> and um, that's it. Just inching along on all my little projects. And uh, yeah, that's it. Are you that's shooting the, the video of the, uh, the, the, the handle mold? You know what? I, I'm going to. It seems kind of like a mundane thing, but I will. I think that might be my make video for this week because whenever I make a mold, there's always some interesting techniques that I... That, that I haven't either seen or forgot existed. So I am going to make a, a video of me making that, that mold. Cool. Is it going to be a one-part or two-part mold? Or <laughs> I'm making a, a, a one-part chunk of silicone that I slice open. But the way you prop it up inside the box and how you prepare the box is, is always interesting. So I'm going to work on it from that point of view. 
like how, how to prepare the mold itself. And then you'll razor blade it open down the back. Right. Gotcha. Cool. Um, well, for me, I'm working on finishing up a video about making the head casting from my life cast. So, you know, a few weeks ago we did the actual cast and now I'm, I'm casting it. Uh, yeah. Made the actual mold. Now I'm making the actual cast with hydrocal and it's, uh, mounted on a lazy Susan so that I can spin it around while I'm working on it. And so that's that video. It's not terribly interesting, but you know, it's a couple of processes together. So I was, I was watching that and I had a couple of funny ideas. You could make it in foam rubber and then make like an Arduino robot of your own head and oh, yeah. mechanize the mouth or, or make it with a smooth mouth and then like video project over your own mouth talking. Ooh, I like that. Even from the inside, do like a translucent material and project from the inside. Mm-hmm, there there was one, one idea that um, we were talking about on Twitch uh, where make a hollow version of my head and then put a nozzle in one nostril and then a motion sensor in the other nostril. So I could push a piece of wood underneath the nose and it would squirt out wood glue as the wood passed <laughs> underneath it. <laughs> which would just be amazing to have that in the shop. You know, every time you just lean over and put some wood under the nose and it oh, squirts man. some glue out. <laughs> you put the pudding gun in the mouth, so it just shoots pudding at you. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're making the, um, the mold, Bob, uh, obviously you have to be conscious of how your eyes are closed. Like did, did Bill say like, don't, don't squint real hard, just relax. Or did you, did you think about that? We talked about it a little bit, but yeah, he just said, just try to get like a resting position of all of your features because one, it'd be hard to hold for an hour, but also just because you want it to look like a natural thing. I did find it was really interesting. And I told him about this after the fact, when he was wiping the silicone on my eyes, he started to wipe, um, down, so he put the silicone on the top of my eye and then wiped down, which dragged my eyelid down, and it naturally wants to bounce back up, right? And when it does that, it pulled the silicone up underneath my eye, <gasps> like underneath my eyelid, not in my eyelid, but <laughs> I could feel like a weird suction there that shouldn't have been there. So that's a tip for anybody who's doing life casting. When you put it on the eyes, go left to right. Yeah, go across, like start on the inside of your eye, move across, and don't drag it, just, you know like push it on. Hmm. Um, cause that was one of the first things they did when they got to the eyes. I could feel my, I'm like, Oh no, I really don't want silicone in my eyes. <laughs> but Ugh. yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I'm finishing up that casting. Um, and it's really cool because like I have that video coming out this week. I have the next two videos past that shot and one more. That's like an abnormal, not a weekly video shot and another one that's not in a weekly video partially shot well isn't that cool look at you oh yeah you're yeah, ready to go on a month-long vacation <laughs> no i just want to do some projects that are bigger than a week and right. so i gotta build up some some time you know but and like stuff like maker fair coming up that's always like there's preparation i need to do for that to get things ready i was thinking about um anybody that's going to maker fair can tell me whether they think this would be a good idea um when I've had a booth at Maker Faire in the past, I've never really made anything. Like, I'll take the small X-carve and some scraps of wood, and when kids come up, they tell me their name, I carve it in, like, a little coaster, and then give it to them. They walk away with it. It takes a few minutes. But other than that, I've never really made anything. But this time I was thinking about requesting 
a larger space and actually taking some tools and making a bar top arcade machine there over the course of the weekend. Because I had really originally wanted to make one of those to have to show off, but I haven't had time to make it. So I was like, oh, well, I could just take, you know, a little bit of wood. It wouldn't take a whole lot. The electronics could already be set up and ready and then just take like a jigsaw, a circular saw, and kind of knock that out. So have you guys ever – yeah, Jimmy, you've made stuff. I've made stuff, and uh, I'll tell you what happens is there's two things that happen. I mean, I wasn't as popular as a you know YouTube presence at the time. And so what happened in the beginning was <laughs> I started making things. I would ask kids to challenge me on, on the band, so I'd make them – I, the first year I brought MDF and it cuts too much. It's too difficult to cut. So I, then I started bringing just styrofoam. So I just used the bandsaw and just cut like quick images on the out of styrofoam. So I would tell kids to challenge me. I'd say, you know, tell me what you want me to make. And they'd say, make a bandsaw. And the whole weekend, the whole joke was I'm, in, I'm the original CNC machine. So I'd make like a butterfly or a dinosaur or a giraffe. Whatever the kids would say, I would just freestyle it out of blue styrofoam. And that was a lot of fun. And then, uh, <laughs> then I started having people in line going... Could you make uh, Mom, I Love You from Bill? You know, like, because I was cutting names out. I was like, yo, what is your name? Is it under 10 letters? I'll make your name. That's it. And then, like, it was like they were buying popcorn from me. They didn't, you know, they just came up to me, like, oh, there's the guy with the band, so he's making names. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, that, so that was one year. I was like, no names anymore, because people were like, demand, can I have the letter G? Like, cut in line. Hey, I was first, and this whole thing started. I was like, no, that's it. No one's getting names. And then, then as I got more popular in the subsequent couple of years, I just stood there and talked the whole time. And I never got a chance to make something. So like a little kid would come up and say, make me a giraffe. And then a fan wanted to just talk. So I'm talking to somebody that's my contemporary. And this little kid is waiting for me to cut out a giraffe. And so this year, I'm going to go to make a fair with nothing to make. And so, Bob, I think you're going to find yourself talking to a lot of people, which is fine if you don't have the intention of yeah. finishing their task. But you do have some stuff to talk about while you're doing it. But like I said, I made the mistake of needing the attention of little kids. Or, you know, getting the attention of little kids and then adults. So little kids would be, like, waiting for me to, you know, whip up something on the band. So while the adult's asking me, you know, how I cut a tree down with my hatchet. So <laughs> it was a little weird, a weird of a dynamic. So, but if you had, yeah. having the fodder there, I did spend quite a bit of time talking about bandsaws and how to use them and, you know, what would be a good starting project for people. The past couple of years, it's been, like, nonstop talking. People yeah. will just walk through. Either they know who I am and they want to talk about a video or something, or they don't know who I am and they see all this random stuff on the table, and they're like, what do you do exactly? Exactly. <laughs> Which is, you know, great. Um, and then I get to talk about it. But either way, it's uh, it's a lot of talking. So I was trying to think of something this year that would give me a, a reason to, like, localize the talking into... <laughs> I'm going to work for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes and kind of be on display and then go talk to whoever's still around um, just so people could see something happening and not just me standing there, like, trying to show myself off. Which yeah, is no, really and it gives people – that one thing is that – because it gives – I remember working on a couple of longer projects in the very first Toy Fair, the first Maker Fair, and then they would come back at the end of the day to see what my, my, my progress had been. Hmm. So it gives people a reason to come back and see, you know, because then I want to sit there and stare at you, well, you know, solder or whatever, but then – They'll come back in a few hours and bring a friend. So Yeah. Yeah, it's just a balance. Like I said, you're going to find yourself talking a lot anyway and then asking a lot of, answering a lot of questions. Yeah. So I may end up doing that. I don't know. But um, speaking of Maker Faire, the Atlanta and New York Maker Fairs are the first weekend in October. I'm going to be in Atlanta. Jimmy's going to be in New York. Mm-hmm. David's going to be Home. on his couch. Yep. <laughs> David's having his own mini Mega Fair. So many is yeah. one person. <laughs> yeah. Micro Mega Cool. Fair. Yeah. 
And uh, I know I, I, last week I alluded to it, but now it's not a secret. But um, we're going to have uh, uh, a lot of people there. April's going to come, and um, my buddy Howard's going to come and do a talk. And uh, I'm drawing a blank on who else is going to be there. Can you guys? Laura Camp is Laura, coming. Of course, Over Laura's going to be there. Germany. And uh, we're all going to get the stage at the same time and have a big open discussion. It'll be the end of Saturday, so if it's going well, it'll be a Twitch live stream. We could keep talking as long as we wanted, so... Oh, nice. It's Excellent. Fun. I would love to see that, but I, I'll be at Maker Faire, so I won't get to see it. That's a bummer. Um, so we talked a couple of weeks ago about what to do for our 100th episode, and we've chatted a little bit about it here. We had a few good ideas come in over Twitter and stuff, but David, you had an idea. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Mm. So I thought maybe that... We can find maybe, maybe yes. This is not it's not definite because uh, there's going to be a lot of work involved and a lot of money too. So, but we'll, we'll talk about that. So we rent out like a reception hall within a hotel, kind of like where a wedding reception would be, right in the hotel, and then uh, we have an event, and we could have you know somebody come in and, and, and serve drinks or whatever, and then you could stay the night there. And at this event, try to make it a, a, a free thing. And then we would do a live podcast at the event in front of an audience. And we could record that and then put it up in our feed the following week. And we could also use the stage. We could do like in individual talks. But I thought we could make it even bigger than that where we could possibly invite other podcasts, like the other um, woodworking or maker type podcast, have the other podcast do a live podcast from the thing as well, which that could be difficult because we don't really have the money to pay them to come out. But I'm just, well, we could open just, we could open it up as a voluntary thing. You know, everybody would kind of bear the responsibility of whatever their personal burden is there. You know, like mm-hmm. everybody would... If they're willing to participate, you know, like we all showed up at WIA, none, none of us got paid for that or, or Atlanta, right. none of us got paid for that. So if we want to share the, the, the burden of just mixing and mingling and trying to get some fans together, I, I think the, the cost would come in the way of the venue, whatever it might be. Um, if we can get a place for free, that would be cool. Or we decide a spot, maybe somebody in the area, whether we decide it's Chicago, New York or Whoever, so maybe somebody knows somebody that has a space that could be donated for a day or two. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Somebody has a big giant storage closet we could all meet in. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> near I, a hotel, I think, maybe. Yes. I think I think near or at a hotel would be um, necessary to make it really convenient and safe if there is drinking involved where you can just go to sleep. And... I have some. I, I think I have all the resources needed for a a PA, as long as the room is not too big. And then I have all the resources to do multi track recording of any of the podcasts. And so we can we can have a PA system and everything recorded, and all the different podcasts go home with or presenters. If we have a presenter come up and and, and talk, um, you know, and uh, you know I could provide them with the files, and they could do whatever they want with it. We could do uh, we could do a um, a weekend 
uh, menu, for instance, of events, and we can come up with a couple of funny like conversations, like the very first thing I ever made. And we could have people coming up to Mike and sharing with the very first thing they made with, you know, and Ooh. if we end up having, you know, a group people like, you know, whoever ends up being there, whether it's us, Tim Sway, you know, Welder, any of those guys all want to, you know, we could all kind of have like a group discussion of the first thing I ever made and then have people coming up and sharing what, the, what it is they made if they want to bring it or talk about it. Just mm-hmm. as a, for instance, like you know, cause you know, for each one of us, it's, you know, it's like when you lost your virginity, it's like different for everybody. <laughs> I, you know, uh, that's, that's a great idea. Like we could also, like if the room is big enough, we could also have a table set up where different um, people could have their stuff on display. Like I could have a table of all my stuff that not all my stuff, but a few things that I made so you can see it in person and you can see the craftsmanship, whether it's, it's good or bad. Uh, you know, and then Bob and Jimmy and, and whoever, you know, we could have these little little tables set up. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we're, we're talking about this in what, December? December, mm-hmm. yes. Our 100th episode is 13 weeks away. Um, so, yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of time to work. And one of the thoughts is to help pay for this is we need to – I would like to – propose like currently we have a a a patreon account and if we can get the patreon account up to a certain amount per episode we could use that money to pay for the venue and maybe to pay for our travel depending depending because it's going to be an expensive thing and i'm just throwing this out there i don't know if we can have like um a donations like when you go to an art museum you don't have to pay to go to the art museum but they suggest a donation and maybe that could go to some of presenters that are traveling i don't know i'm just throwing things out there this is an open discussion that we can have on twitter or email i prefer i prefer to keep it open if, if possible what yeah. is our hashtag 100th episode guessing hmm. good question how about making it 100 there we go that way it's, it's ours hashtag making it 100 let us know what you think yeah, let's let's try to keep it on Twitter so it's open and everybody can see. Email is is nice and personal, but it's also hidden and hard to keep conversations out there. So, yeah, um, I think it'd be really cool to do something live in whatever form it ends up taking, wherever it ends up being. I think it'd be fun. So let us know one if you're interested in being a part of it, and if you have any specific thoughts about like how we could pull it off, or if you have any suggestions or any of that stuff. Just let us know. We got a little bit of time, but not a lot of time. You have a free venue. <laughs> yeah. You want to donate a free venue. We take free venues on Patreon. It's <laughs> our top tier. And uh, I think yeah. it'd be cool if our uh, significant others were able to come with us. and Because um, I don't think all of our significant others have been in the same place at the same time. And I don't know. It'd be no. fun. That's right. Yeah. It would be cool. Cool. Well, let us know what you think about it on Twitter. What city would you um, want this to take place in? Yes. <laughs> New York. I can say, for me, New York. I think that Ooh. would be the, the ideal. But That's because Bob doesn't want me to travel, so thank you, Bob. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, what are we going to talk about today? Oh, I had the idea just the, the other day, and it's out there now. So everybody, oh, I just, what a weird thing. I'm, t- I'm about to say Bill Lavosi, and he just texted me. Let's see what he has to say. Um, uh, (laughs) Oh, so he's just funny. He's playing with his logo. 
Um, so Bill Lavosi's podcast is called The Maker Hustle, and he does it with a, a girl named Amy and a guy named Jeff, and it's all about the maker hustle and making money doing what you love. And they invited me on the other day to talk about branding, and it, the conversation kind of got to the point of about branding in the way of like my stylized videos. And we kind of touched a little bit on logos, but I wanted to carry the conversation on specifically about logos and taking a graphic design point of view. Since the three of us are graphic designers, we were trained in graphic design, among other things. I wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of a lot of us have logos now. It's obviously something that we three have. And then every new YouTuber knows it's important to have a logo and what invo- what it's involved in having a logo and making one that's timeless, one that could be shrunken down really small, one that goes really big. What does it look like on a shirt? What does it look like in black and white? What does it look like in color? So I just wanted to open the conversation with you guys and just talk a little bit about that logo. You know, we talked about branding as a whole concept. We all understand that, but let's just take a point of view of just the logo itself. And mm. while I'm here, I see David, you're wearing your shirt. I'm wearing my <laughs> hat. And Bob, what does your shirt say? I can't see it. Yeah, it's a Star Wars shirt. So Bob's wearing his logo. <laughs> That's amazing. It, it is actually a really well-designed, not a Star Wars shirt with a Star Wars icon on it. It's a it's a, a logo, not an official one. And can you guys see the shirt I'm wearing? Can you see who that is? I don't know if you guys know that well enough. Some guys I don't. I know the. I mean, I see the picture, but I don't know what it is. That's Jody's welding tips and tricks. Oh, it's like yeah. a, a welder, a TIG welder, like breaking out of a circle. Looks like a superhero. So that's actually Jody as a superhero TIG welder. <laughs> um, so just the idea of our logos. So I just wanted to open the discussion. Um, I'll get the conversation going by saying you have logos that, and I'll, Bob, I'm going to use yours as an example, which is well thought out, beautiful graphic. When I, I told the story on Bill's podcast and I'm saying it on yours, on our, our podcast for the third time, how when I first saw you, I really thought you were an established entity. I didn't realize you were just a startup. And I saw your logo and I thought, wow, this guy really has got it going on. And I thought you worked at I Like to Make Stuff and that you were like an upper executive. I didn't realize <laughs> you were the, uh, the player president. I didn't realize you were in charge. And it was just you. So the logo really st- said a lot to me. Whereas the difference between your logo and my logo is my logo was like, oh, wait, I don't want this picture to go out without my name on it. Let me just use this old spray stencil that I used on the side of my truck two years prior and spray paint it in the corner of the ground when I took a picture. So as I started doing, uh, like, uh, I just got Instagram. And as I started Instagramming pictures from the TV show that, that I did on Discovery Channel, I started just spray painting my name in the corner. And then that led to my to my branding. So it kind of happened by accident. And... Uh, the idea of you could have a logo that's really well thought out or one that just accidentally becomes your logo, but because it's impressed enough, now you can't change it. So. Well, it's interesting, though. I mean, you're saying it's not really thought out, but it was extremely intentional, right? So uh, yeah. even if even if graphically it wasn't really thought out, like you wanted it to represent something or whatever, it had a very specific purpose because you didn't want something – you wanted to watermark your work, essentially, right? And Exactly. So, I mean – I think there there's a couple of things there. One is that you can try to have a conceptual logo that says a lot. Like, I mean, mine's kind of that way where I'm trying to say things through graph through the graphic um, that are not overt. And then, you know, whereas yours is more overt in the text, but also very functional in that it was made for a very specific purpose. So, you know, I, I don't want people thinking like, a logo has to be one of those things. It could be either or both of those. No, things. that's why I'm bringing it up. But I said, I said it. Um, I say it all the time. I know I've said it here. If you want to, as a graphic designer or a graffiti artist, 
you want to become famous with a with an image, whether it's an image of something you painted that's abstract or a logo or a phrase, just keep saying it and keep spray painting it and keep printing it on everything. And then eventually it starts to represent a lifestyle. And then people want that logo. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It's because it represents this, you know, in the case of someone like Banksy, all his images like represent this sort of subversive art, uh, you know, political statements or, you know, a lot of the graffiti artists do that. And in my case, it's the same thing. I just want it to be like a representation of the lifestyle of making things, you know, in the way of the, what I do. And more importantly, above all, I just want to watermark my stuff so that it doesn't get misrepresented. Yeah. Well, and kind of, I mean, this is a maybe a departure from the logo conversation, but it's connected. Uh, somebody, a kid, I don't remember his age, but he was asking me on an email the other day. He was starting a channel and um, asking me what he should call it. And he told me his last name and it was like, should I be last name Woodworks or last name Workshop or, you know, he add all these things and everything was centered around his last name. And he was worried. If I remember correctly, he was worried that without having his last name in it somehow, no matter what else was there, he, there wouldn't be the association. And I tried to remind him that there are tons of things that we use every single day that have these nonsense names that were not words before they became the name of a company. Kodak. Um, exactly. There's a bunch of them. There's tons of them that just, it's a made-up word. And just like you're saying with association, that's why I, I thought about this, is that, you know, once you have a sound, which is essentially what the word is, you have a sound associated with an object long enough, it becomes the definition, the object becomes the definition of that sound. And it's it happens constantly with really, really big name companies that we all use on a daily basis. So I was trying to tell him that to encourage him, like, don't stay in that box, you know. If you if you want something to be, a, you know, a more interesting name, I don't, I don't want that to sound like his name wasn't interesting, but you know what I mean. Something more unique and something that stands out a little bit more. Just make up a word. Mm-hmm. You'll probably have a better chance of getting the domain yeah. actually too. Can uh, <laughs> uh, hey Bob? Can you sure. pass me that Kleenex? Oh, Kleenex. Yeah, uh, sure, right here. <laughs> <laughs> My Band-Aid fell off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. The same way. Yeah. Um, going along with not using your name, actually, there's a couple benefits to that. And um, I think, Bob, you're kind of going through this. And, and, and so, so am I. Where it's not my last name. So it opens things up to the uh, expand in the future. So make something could involve more people, which it already does. And, and, I like the idea of I don't know where Make Something is going to be 10 years down the road. There could be many people working for Make Something. And I always thought of like, okay, a band. You think of a, a band and I'm going to go I'm just uh, Tom Petty. So like if you're uh, – that's not a really even a good example because there's Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. But uh, a, a solo musician. We'll go Ozzy Osbourne. Okay. Sure. When, Share when share plays, and if you're in the band for share, doesn't that make you feel a little bit smaller because you're not associated with this this made up name or whatever you're you're associated with the the, the singer, and so I kind of like the idea mm. of it being this this a bigger thing than what it is. And well, everybody that joins my company has to change their name to Duresta, so that's the way I was. Well, that, that makes sense. That makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah, like the Ramones. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, but that's an interesting distinction, though, because, you know, like, in the case of what you and I are both are kind of planning and, you know, thinking toward down the line, that's intentional, right? We want it to be open-ended enough to be able to become whatever we decide we want it to be. What a weird sentence. Um, But, you know, somebody else may decide that they want to be a one-man show or one-woman show from now on. They want to be known for who they are and what they do, and it doesn't matter who else is attached. It's a different thing, right? Picasso didn't have a company, I I don't think. Um, He was just Picasso, right? And he signed his art Picasso because he wanted the recognition for his work. So, you know, I think it depends on, like, what your goal is and um, kind of looking down the line where you want to be. Mine was very spontaneous. I really didn't think... Uh, about where I am right now. But I'll tell you a reason why I started doing my name. When we were Instagramming pictures of what I was making on the show, I didn't get a warm, fuzzy feeling from Discovery. They didn't ask me my opinion on what the name of the show should be. They didn't even ask me to participate in the naming of the show. All they knew is they didn't like Lord of the Fleas, which was the name we gave them. Which, by the way, they ended up using all over Europe. And... uh, so they had no communication with me and my brother about a lot of details about the show, which didn't leave us comfortably involved. And so when I started tweeting pictures of the show, what I was building, I'm like, I'm not attaching my name to this boat because they don't want me to be attached to it. So I'm just going to tell the world that follows me, hey, I made this. I could have easily used the show logo that we got early on and said, look, another dirty money thing that we made. But they didn't give me that warmth like, hey, this is all of us together going down the road. So I just kind of broke my own branding away from the show that I was on. And I think I I backed the right horse. I backed my brand, not that. Because right now, all those images would be with some stale logo, which doesn't mean anything anymore. Hmm. Because they, they, you know, they didn't, they they didn't nurture that, that, that concept. So that's why I ended up just grabbing the stencil that was lying around with my name on it and started using that. (laughs) I I want to go uh, I we're, I want to go back to the importance of the actual logo. Like Jimmy, you mentioned earlier that it has to be simple. It has to be in black and white. It has to look good, big, and look good, small. And right. and uh, I I've been um, in situations in my past job at the ad agency where they wanted to place their logo in this thing, but it's a vertical logo and it doesn't fit in this horizontal space. And so these are yeah. all things you got to think about. And but you mentioned that when you saw Bob's logo for the first time, you thought it was this bigger thing, and that's one of the reasons why identity and branding and logos is so important because it's perceived value, and that that symbol that that font or that color represents who you are, and it needs to be like instantly identifiable. When I see orange. Even when I'm not, like, if I'm at the grocery store and I see orange, for whatever reason, I think I like to make stuff because his branding, <laughs> Rob's branding, yours is so yes. strong. And yeah, you did something. You did something right. And and now when I, I is, or if I see a stencil, I see I think Duresta because your branding is so <laughs> strong. That thing represents you, and it's really really important. Yeah, and there's also a distinction to be made uh, just for clarification between. Uh, what you would call, I guess, a mark and a logo type. So these are just two different things that you may come across. Like when we're talking about logos, what we're actually talking about in, in regards to my logo is my mark, the M in the square, right? right? That's the 
that's the mark. But then the logo type is the way that the the type, the word together. associated is written out. And so when you actually see a logo, like my full logo, you're seeing those two things together. Yeah. I only point that out because a lot of people will focus on one and not the other. Mm -hmm. So if you focus on just a logo type um, and focus on like the font and how the words, it may not be as recognizable by itself because it's, it's words, right? The words float next to other words on a page. If you're like in a document or on a website, um, there's nothing that makes those words stick out. They have to be there because they are the name. But having a mark to go with them um, can make the logo as a whole stand out and be really out front and be eye-catching. Generally, the mark should be able to stand on its own without the logo type as well. Yeah. So, like, point. I can use my M as my icon for social networks, which is what I do. So when you see that, you see the M, and the mm -hmm. theoretically, you should know it's me without the full type of I like to make stuff. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I just want to point that out because people who didn't go to school for that may not recognize the difference there. Going off <clears> of <throat> that, have either one of you had to work with a client where you get like a 100-page style guide? Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, so uh, when you – so larger companies will have what's called a style guide where they'll say – <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And if you are working with Sony, they're going to send you this document, and you have to because the yellow pages. Yeah, you have to go by their rules, and so they will say when you use this logo, the color logo, it can only be so far away from the type. It has to be this far away, and percentage there be percentages, or you can never use this logo and this logo on the same page. Or there's all these different scenarios of whether you're using the color or black and white, or how big it is on the page. Like it, th these brands are extremely controlling, as they should be, because it's it's their identity, and they're trusting somebody else, like their ad agency or or like a Walmart or whatever, to use their logo, and they have to follow these rules set forth in these style guides. And yep. that's even internal to those companies as well. Yes, I used to yeah. work for Dell, and we had a, a style guide, you know, because I was building interfaces and stuff. And so anytime we used the Dell logo, it had to be, there were like three colors that it could be only, and the spacing around it, like you were saying, is it had to be certain ways. Um, it couldn't be used in conjunction with other colors on the page because they would clash or whatever. And so that was even to build internal documents that were only seen by other people within the company. But that all goes back to what you were saying earlier about perceived value. Mm -hmm. If you put a, a logo out there and you let people tamper with it and use it however they want, and they do it wrong so it doesn't look good, that reflects poorly on your perceived value that you've already been working towards. So that's why anytime um, I do uh, like an interview or I'm going to be on a podcast or I'm going to be on a this or that thing, I always send them my official single logo image and a headshot that I selected. And I'm saying I would prefer you use these things because like, not that I don't think you're capable but this is what I want to go out. Right. And if, it, if you use what I give you, then it's going to look like everywhere else, you know, and nobody's going to be confused that like, well, that interview kind of looked like Bob's stuff, but it wasn't really quite right, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So guys, tell me this, tell me has, how many, uh, how often do you get handed a business card when you're at a gathering or whatever, and you look at the business card and you could instantaneously tell this person has no training. Let's like, let's talk about where, where people go wrong and yeah. Uh, or what, what, 
they can easily do wrong. I think there's a point where like if you are not a graphic designer or you don't have a good design skill, you might want to hire it out. I mean, everybody yeah. knows somebody who knows somebody who's a graphic designer or there's all these great services now like 99designs or whatever. You can pay an expert to give you comps and you can choose from what what you like the best. And- <laughs> you know what the, the gut feeling is? Somebody hands me a business card and I look at it and I just go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> good I feel bad for them Aww. because they might have a strong concept or a good name, but you know they let their son or their cousin do their logo. Or they did it themselves well, in Word because they went to one of these websites and it's like, I know what I'm doing. I'll just go to Word document and make a big, fat, giant object next to really three-point type and make it the size of a dime. So that the yeah. type is – you have a logo. I'm, I'm just looking at a quarter as an, or a nickel. You have a logo on a card that's like as big as a nickel or a quarter and the typeface around it is as big as the type on a quarter or a nickel, which in our world is too small. Yeah. And the unfortunate thing about that, because that happens all the time, right? People will get the cheapest logo they can get or, like you said, a friend or family member. The poor, the bad thing about that is that no matter what the logo is, it reflects on your work. So even if you are, say, a woodworker and you make beautiful, beautiful furniture, if you hand somebody a card that has a bad logo on it, they don't really care what your work is going to be. Like, they probably won't even get that far. They'll look at the logo and go, eh, that's poor quality. So that probably, in my mind, fair or unfair, reflects what their actual work looks like. And a safe way, a safe way to get around that, if you if you know you have a logo that's really bad, or you have no confidence in the logo, which you probably shouldn't, because if you did a crummy logo, you could play it safe by going with a typeface. You know, mm-hmm. again, but there's also some science to that. I'm looking at a Sony logo, and this is the same exact logo that was on my Sony Walkman in 1985. Mm-hmm. And this is a this is a uh, a, a little uh, what is this called that goes in the camera? I can't remember what this is called. SD card. I have an SD card in my hand that has a Sony logo on it, and it's the same exact logo that's been used for the last 40 years, and it works. And it's just a typeface. It's a serif typeface, which is probably designed specifically for them, but it's probably based on like a a type of uh, it kind of looks like an old school like wanted poster type with like a big thick serif. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What, yeah. Is that is that like is that like a it's like a fat Times Roman or something? What would you guys call that? Yeah, I'm not sure what that is. And uh, so the idea is instead of going with like a wonky logo until you're really confident or until you get somebody that's qualified, you could always just go with like a type solution, like mine. But like I said, I kind of happened to mom by by accident my logo. So let's talk about a few things, specific things. If someone is going to make their own logo, or they're going to have someone make it for them, what are some specific design things that they should avoid or look for? One, Whatever. David? N- absolutely, number one, it has to be in a vector, not bitmap format. Yeah. So what that, explain, <laughs> what that is. Okay. explain what that is. So uh, think of it as the simplest way is it should be drawn in Illustrator and not photo- Photoshop. So uh, oh. it should be math-based, which is lines that can scale to any size and not lose its quality and not pixel-based. I don't know if I can explain that any better. I don't know if you guys have a better Yeah, it's way like when you zoom sense. really far into a picture and you have that little, when you have this, your logo shouldn't have steps on the edge of it. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. Your logo shouldn't have little tiny steps around the edge of it. Unless, of course, you're a company that makes steps. <laughs> <laughs> of then course. maybe you can get away with it. Maybe. 
All right. What's what's another what's another tip? Uh, if you're going to do a logo like the Bob, the way you have, you have your mark, mm-hmm. and then you have a type next to it. They should be balanced together on the face of a business card, or on the back of a match, or on the side of a pencil. When they're really that small, they should be they should be appropriately scaled to one another. Whatever your company is, your full name, and then the mark, they should be scalable. Because sometimes people have it, it looks great, you know, is on the front of a brochure, but then they put it on the side of a pencil and they don't adjust the mark to the scale of what the words are. And then the words get as tiny as the typeface on the face of a dime and then it's like legible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think another thing that's important is if you're having somebody else do it or even if you're doing it yourself, you need to put it in different environments so you can see it that yeah. way. Letterhead the masthead of a website uh, on a product or whatever. That way you can actually see how it fits in in different places. Yeah. And that's just and a good these, Photoshop study, basically. Yeah, and these days there's even more, you know, it used to be when we were in school and we were learning this stuff, it was make sure, you, you know, fax your logo to somebody, see what it looks like when it comes out of the fax machine, whatever. There are all these things. These days that's been replaced by um, you know, social media icons, Yes. And things like that. So if you're going to have a logo that's going to end up on any social network, which it should, then you need to scale it appropriately to these tiny little circles or rounded squares yeah. and see where it look. You know, see how it looks because um, it it's harder than you think to get something that looks good at 32 pixels square or whatever yeah. the size is. Um, that's a big one. So scaling is definitely a huge thing, and color uh, works into that. If you have a logo that is at a a mark at a large scale that the colors look pretty good together. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to look good together when it's scaled down because when you scale those images down, your, your eye bleeds finer detail together, right? So if you have a really fine blue line next to a green mass, they're going to just be one color. You're not going to see that. Mm-hmm. So They'll vibrate you have too. to they're gonna be, make sure your colors don't vibrate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff other than just, like being legible or being able to see what the shape is, you have to think about color as you scale things in and out as well. Uh, and it should work without color. It should work as a black and white logo. Yes. Right? And when you say black and white, you mean actually black and white, not a grayscale or gradients in there. Cause you right. never know how that's going to be printed on, on something. Yeah. Uh, like for instance, uh, to that point, my logo, if you look at my text um, on my t-shirts, there's actually three different colors of gray within the text. So the top line is one, it gets a little bit lighter and a little bit lighter as it goes down. But if you printed that whole thing with white text, it would be totally readable. So it's not that you always have to use your logo in black and white or in two color or three color, but it needs to degrade gracefully down to, you know, the worst possible combination of black and white. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Jimmy's... Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, um, Jimmy said if you just use a, a font... Make sure that you have a way to convert convert that font into outlines so you can share that with somebody else and they don't have to actually have that font that you used. Yeah, that's really important. It's funny, I'm, my buddy, I talked about him quite a bit in my Snapchats. He's, he lives down the block and he's one of my closest friends. He's the Jets juggler. He works for the Jets at the, at the home games and he juggles and breathes fire. And so he has the Jets font. So whenever he he's doing any of his own promotional stuff, and I helped him do some stuff, and he sent me the Jets font, very specific to the Jets. And what's funny is you type out anything, it doesn't have to even say Jets, and you look at it and you go, 
oh wow, that looks like the New York Jets logo, no matter what you <laughs> write it in. But it's the type that's specific to them. So you can take a typeface and tweak it to match your brand, but you have to be good at it. If you're going to start venturing yeah. into customizing typefaces, you really have to know what you're doing. A lot of times people will connect type, they'll connect letters just randomly. You know, Another important thing is take your logo, if you if you're so brave, to do your own logo, compare it to just get a logo page from someone's website and just do a photo grab, a screen grab, and put yours in there. And how does yours compare to all these other logos like 3M, Coca-Cola, Mac, you know, like compare it to the, the, you know, Nike, all these, just look at them really small compared to what you did. And then you get to see the line weight. You'll notice a lot of those logos I just mentioned are all very like strong, thick logos. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, usually part of them scaling down is that the the thickness of the lines usually needs to be pretty robust so that it doesn't fade away when it gets small. Um, I'm going to call out a good friend of mine, Matt, um, who's an amazing designer. I have another friend who did my logo, and I don't want to call out his name because I don't think he would want me to. (laughs) He's not very public. But um, Matt runs a company called Twin Forest, and... It's Forest with two R's, so twinforest2rs.com. And he's he's an amazing uh, branding designer. And so if you want a good example of what we're talking about as far as type, uh, really quality type and really simple marks, at least go look at his. There's you know tons of other companies out there that do similar stuff that, that's really good, but he has some really excellent examples of the type of stuff we're talking about. So I agree. I that's throw that out. good stuff. Yeah, he's good. Uh, um, sometimes what else we got? I just want to uh, quickly point out that, uh, your logo, uh, there are some logos that are so strong that don't even need the name of the company that's with them anymore. And like a good example of that would be, uh, like you might see in McDonald's, um, or the, I like to make stuff, um, or the show gas <laughs> logo. Like if you're Apple, you know, Apple. app. Yeah. You don't even need the words anymore. And that, that just, that shows you what a strong identity is. Yeah. Can you guys remember the name? I can't remember his name. He's a heavy set guy with a big beard, and he does a lot of like YouTube graphic stuff. He's a very uh, he's he's well known graphic designer. Yes, is that him? The heavy guy. Yep. Yeah, yep. we should. Aaron yeah, we should talk a little bit about him and maybe uh, put some of his videos in the in the show notes because I watched some of his videos and he's amazing. His thought process. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. He's connected to Field Notes Notebook somehow. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. How? Yes. I think I saw a video where he popped up and he was using the, the notebook. Yeah. But he, yeah, Aaron Draplin is a graphic designer who is just amazing at making logos. And he has a couple of books out, I believe, at least one, but maybe more than one. And they're just like, you just flip through and it's just logo after logo. I'm just crammed onto these pages of just beautiful, simple, really eye catching stuff. I mean, he's, he's so good. Yeah, and he's I've actually been trying well. to get, in, I've been trying to get in touch with him to do a brain pick with him for years. Oh, and it's never happened. So if anybody knows a way to get in touch with Aaron Draplin, <laughs> let me know. That would be cool. Awesome. What else we got? Anything else about logos? I think if you're going to do it, just start with a couple pencil sketches and then go to cut paper. You know, it's always good to once you really, really get. The, if you're not good with Illustrator, that is. I mean, we would all jump straight to Illustrator, but I always suggest my students use cut paper and, and an X-Acto knife and start cutting shapes out that you like, and you might end up with something that yeah, you know, that might become the logo that, that lives forever. 
just in the cut paper format. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, the you mentioned that a friend of mine worked at uh, Leica, which is a, a company that makes motion pictures, right? They make stop motion. And one of the most recent ones they came out with was called Kubo and the Two Strings. I saw on Twitter the other day, he's now, he's not with them anymore, but he worked when they were working on that film. And he showed that logo from the movie and he said, it's really interesting to see a logo that I made by ripping paper or ripping a napkin or something like that. Oh, that's cool. And I'm like, oh, wow. You know, and so when you see something that ended up as like the logo for a major motion picture started by ripping paper. So (laughs) Jimmy's totally right on that. Yep. Uh, And I would also say, like, you know, Jimmy said ripping paper. I find that you will come up with more ideas. And maybe this is just me, but I I think you'll agree that if you actually use a pencil and paper to start sketching out ideas rather than trying to sketch them out on the computer, they come out faster. You you have them all right there in front of you. You can um, pull from one, add to another. And more ideas come out when you actually use a, a real pencil and paper. Yeah, there's no technical stuff in the way of you getting an idea out. Yeah, less, you know, there's less no barriers. like, how do I, how do I use the pen tool to get this curve that I want in Illustrator or something? Yeah, uh, that stuff that always caused me problem when I was. Um, you, you mentioned earlier about hiring somebody to do the logo, and I'm a real strong believer in that. If you like, do what you're good at, right? Spend your time on what you can do that nobody else can do. There's other stuff that has to be done. But find somebody else who does it better than anybody else. And if a logo is a thing that's going to be in your way, it's going to slow you down, it's going to stop you from making the thing that you want to make, just hire somebody that knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Honestly, even if you put in a lot of money and it, it seems like a lot, it's worth it long term. Yeah. I can say that. I mean, I did. that's what I did. I knew that I would not be able to make a logo as well as I wanted it to, to be, you know, and have the branding as strong as I wanted it. So I hired my friend to do it. And it's awesome. That's great. Do, do we want to talk about Pantone colors at all? Or at least touch on it? Yeah, you can touch on it. Yeah. PMS, Pantone, the color system is the, the, like the wide standard for picking your logos. When you when you pick up a style guide for Sony or Apple, it's going to show, uh, it's going to use the Pantone color system of like, this is the actual color I use mine. I have two colors in my Make Something logo, and then uh, I keep a little Is it like the beige and the burgundy? Yeah, yeah. And then I keep a cheat sheet of what those Pantone colors are and and what the hexadecimal value of those is because I do a lot of web stuff, and so I I always have those those colors handy. Is that the right word? Hexadecimal? Hexadecimal. Hexadecimal, yeah. yeah. And, uh, And then also the RGB values and the CMYK values of those Pantone colors. Right, because in all the new computer, well, the new, new to me, I'm 100 years old, the computer programs, you, you could dial in those exact colors by using the sliders or the value amounts. Yeah. And the reason that, that these colors are important um, are, it used to be because you would have two printers that maybe had a different type of ink in them or different whatever, and you had a standard set of a way to get an exact color from the designer to a printer. These days, we have basically the same problem with monitors where not all monitors are calibrated exactly the same to have the same colors. And so if you have a standard color that you're matching against, then you know, you can get a, something closer to what you want. Mm-hmm. That's Because all designers have that book. They can go and open up their Pantone book and look at the, exactly what right. that chip looks like. Yep. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> Bob, do you, what is your Pantone color orange? Do you know the number? 
I don't know the number off the top of my head. I should. <laughs> it's in it's in my text expander, <laughs> so <laughs> I can just type P A N and it fills wherever. And, I uh, and uh, uh, Dave, what, what do you know your colors? Do you know what they I don't. Yeah. No, I, I don't know the numbers offhand. <laughs> What's yours, Jimmy? <laughs> yeah, charcoal, charcoal gray, and Arctic white. Those are the two colors I use. from Arctic white. from Montana Gold. That's, that's it. That's, that's really what that's I use. The, those are the Home Depot paint swatches. It says charcoal gray. And <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I wish to God Home Depot sold the Montana, but they don't. Oh, that's the fancy stuff. Oh fancy yeah, you stuff, got the yeah. good stuff there. Yeah. yeah. Never use Rust Oleum. Only use Montana Gold if you want something to actually get painted. If you don't want to, if you want to spend your afternoon spraying, you know, a vehicle liquid onto your object, then go buy Rustoleum. Guess we'll never get them as a sponsor. <laughs> oh, <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> or if you just want to, if you just want to spray paint, like if you want to see, you want to experiment with spray painting something with just like lacquer thinner with no with no pigment in it, then go buy Krylon. That's another sponsor we're not going to get. <laughs> And if you don't want it to ever dry, use use rust oleum and then spray Krylon on top of it. Oh. <laughs> non painting tips with Jimmy DeResta. Yeah. yeah. How not to paint. Stuff. Don't use Krylon and don't use rust oleum. The only two paints they sell at the big box stores. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, I've actually sent this... angry tweets to Krylon, so I'm not worried about that. Really? <laughs> yeah. uh. hmm. um, what have you guys been watching or doing or reading or. Whatever. So uh, I met this guy named Martin Shavaria. Maybe I'm saying his last name right. Sorry, Martin, uh, if I'm saying it wrong. Um, but I met him at the Festool Connect event over the weekend. He is from Mexico, but currently lives in Canada. And he has a great YouTube channel. And it's all in Spanish. And so his uh, he is trying to teach woodworking to the Latin community. And I think that's great because almost all the videos that we see is is in English. And so, hmm. and he was an awesome dude. He was so nice to me. He gave me a little gift. So thank you, Martin. You're, you're crazy awesome. Uh, he's a listener of the show, so he'll be excited for me to talk about it. But we'll have a link to his YouTube channel in the show notes. Cool. Nice. And I just want to say thank you again to, to Bill, Amy, and Jeff for having me on The Maker's Hustle, which is a new podcast out. I think they're up to episode 10, and I think that's the one that I'm on. And we taped it this past weekend, and it's out today. Well, today's Monday, but by Friday, everybody will have heard it, I hope. Maker Hustle. New podcast. Cool. Awesome. Um, because I forgot to say it before we started talking about this. So I want to thank our, our, our Patreon supporters, especially Make, Build, Modify, John Cornwell, Luis Gonzalez, and Dan K. Make. They're our top supporters. Um, and we appreciate them and everybody else. And like we said earlier, if you guys want to help us make the 100th episode something really unique and something really cool, uh, supporting on Patreon is the way to make that happen. We appreciate it. Thank what's, you. Um, what's our hashtag? I'm sorry. What's our hashtag? Making it 100, the number 100. And for me, I stumbled across this YouTube channel uh, the other night, sitting in front of the TV, and it's called Amazing Space. And I've only watched a couple of seconds of videos on it, but it's live streams from space. Mm. So I was sitting on the couch the other night watching a live spacewalk with two astronauts outside the space station. Wow. It was it just blows my mind that's <laughs> even possible. That's amazing. It was so cool. I mean, it was really pretty, you know, because it was like looking down at Earth, like Earth's in the background, and these two guys are just like moving around real slow and everything. 
But mainly it just blew my mind that I was watching something that was happening in space, looking back down at Earth. In a related story, I was watching Burning Man, live streams from Burning Man. Really? Yeah, watching people who were not on Earth. (laughs) (laughs) I really did. It popped up in my suggested... Because I started watching... I, I watched a couple of live feed things and some news shows and... And now I'm getting YouTube algorithms saying, hey, this is also live, and this is also live. And then Burning Man popped up, so I started watching it. And then it shows up now every day. Well, Burning Man is over now, but it was showing up every day up until the end. And I thought it would be interesting to watch The Burn, which is the last day of Burning Man, but I completely forgot to watch it. So I could probably hmm. watch it on, on recorded video. It won't be the same. It won't. I'm just sitting, <laughs> in my com- sitting here at 3 in the morning eating cereal, watching Burning Man. Judging people. Cool. Well, I guess that's it for this week. Wait, Unless you, you guys you, got anything else? You were going to say what? Oh, you did say what you watched. You said live from space. I'm sorry. Yeah, space. Um, it's called Amazing Space. Uh, it's actually I had to search for space videos. Is what it says at the top, which is not a great name, but then the logo says Amazing Space. So either way, like right now they have one that's just a live stream from the space station down at Earth. So awesome. Hmm. Anyway, cool. Um, you guys got anything else? Uh, no, you know, it's funny because everyone's expecting me to say I love you. I'm, I'm just thinking of that logo where it says L-O-V-E with the L and the O and the V and the E over each other. Who did mm-hmm. that? Who's the famous designer who did that? Do we know? I don't know. I don't know. I think it was Peter Max. I could be wrong. Well, it, what city is that in? There's a big statue of it. Yeah, there, there, I think there's one in New York. I think there's a, in a couple cities. But that graphic from like 1970 has 70s has become very iconic with the tilted O. That's like the kind of the O is like yeah. tilted, making you seem a little bit warm and fuzzy. I do want to talk about one more thing. And that's one of the okay. world's most famous uh, logos. And the guy never made a dime off of it. And Jimmy, you will be very familiar with it. Is what? the I Love New York. Oh, well, that was designed by Milton Glaser. He did it for free. Yeah. Yep. But, hmm. And it's been and, copied and a million when, times. And yeah. Yeah. And then it, that was a campaign. I only know this because Milton works at the School of Visual Arts. He's like one of the uh, the senior top designers associated with the school. Milton Glaser did I, the I Love New York logo. And that became such a big deal. They did it initially to try and promote tourism in New York. And I think he did it. He donated his time because he was just happy to be a New Yorker. And then he reintroduced it when, during 9-11, which again is the, the anniversary of 9-11 right now. And uh, he did it with the heart with like a little bit of like a torch, like a little burn section in the lower part of the heart as if the heart is the metaphor for, for the island of Manhattan. So when that happened, the logo was talked about a lot more in the environment of in and around the school. So that's why I happen to know a little bit about that. Huh. So. Cool. Thank you. We'll see you next week. I love you. I'm a turtle.